Welcome to Parsha in Progress. I'm Abigail Pogrebin, author of My Jewish Year. And I'm Rabbi Dov Linzer, president of Yeshivat Chovevei Torah Rabbinical School. And we are two very different Jews talking about the same Torah together. Hello, Dov. Hey, Abby. How you doing? I'm good. We're looking at a, a double Parsha today, right? Yep. Matot Mase. So Matot is one, Mase is the other, and we combine the two. Right. And we are in numbers, and I think what we're zeroing in on today, which I find extremely powerful and difficult, it's a reiteration of something we saw in an earlier Parsha that we didn't discuss this year, that the Israelites are not going to make it to the Promised Land, which is pretty shocking. Absolutely. Because it's the entire kind of basis of our history and story is that we got out of Egypt and 400 years of slavery to redemption, mm-hmm. only to be prevented from tasting. <laughs> realizing our dream. Realizing right. our dream. So we're in Numbers 32.10. Thereupon the Lord was incensed, and he swore, none of the men from 20 years up who came out of Egypt shall see the land that I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for they did not remain loyal to me. None except Caleb, son of, help me here, Yifune, Yifune. the Kenizzite, and Joshua, son of Nun, for they remained loyal to the Lord. Those were two of the, of the 12 spies who actually weren't wholly pessimistic about what, what lay in right. wait. The Lord right. was incensed at Israel, and for 40 years he made them wander in the desert until the whole generation that had provoked the Lord's displeasure was gone. So basically, if you're under 20, you're going to make it in. But anyone over the age of 20, too bad. You, you die in the wilderness after wandering in the wilderness after escaping in the first place, crossing the Red Sea, mm-hmm. getting to Sinai. So speak, Dove. Well, first, I w- I'll share with you a graphic image in the Talmud, which is like horrifying every time I think about it. The Talmud says once they were told that they were all going to die out in the, in the wilderness, every night they would dig a grave and go to sleep in a grave so that if they died that night, they'd already be buried. Are the people accepting? When Moses first tells them about this, they don't want to accept it. They actually, some of them say, no, 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 we're going to go into the land. And they have uh, little uh, troops that try to go into the land, and then they all get wiped out. And then they're resigned to their fate. We never really hear otherwise. I mean, Korach, maybe we remember, revolted because of this, but ultimately they're resigned to their fate. But God promised this. God promised this. It's even in the language. None of the men who 20 years up who came out of Egypt shall see the land that I promised on oath. I mean, Mm -hmm. well, well, I didn't promise it to this generation. I promised in an oath that I would give it to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Yeah. You know, and this generation was the plan, but it didn't work out. Um, Well, let me ask you. I mean, I've always known, you know, sort of internalized this narrative. What for you is so sort of difficult that you're. I feel like it's it's when we sit at the Passover table, the Seder table and talk about the Exodus and rejoice in it. Mm-hmm. And re- and talk about redemption and deliverance. And mm-hmm, I would say the mm-hmm. average kid at the Seder table thinks that it's a happy ending. And to me, it's it's really not. And right. I think it's a bit of a betrayal. Not that it would have been better to stay in Egypt. I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. But so much of this was the promise of milk and honey, of a better day and a better land. And to never see right. it feels like extremely like an extremely harsh punishment. Yeah, and it's important to realize that the way it's playing out in this week's parsha 
is that Moses is afraid that this is all going to happen all over again. Like 40 years hasn't been enough and one generation hasn't been enough because people are saying, we want to stay outside the land. The tribes of Reuven and God come to Moses and say- God, you mean G-A-D. G-A-D, correct. It's so beautiful here on the east side of the Jordan, these lands we just conquered in a battle that they weren't expecting. And we want to stay here and not go into the land. So Moses thinks that this is all history replaying itself. And that's why we're- sort of reliving this experience of, of, you know, why they had to die out in the wilderness. And I would really like to read it that way, less as a punishment and more as, is this the right generation? You know, you were the generation of slaves, totally dependent. Are you, you've made it clear that you're not the generation that can be responsible for entering into the land and building a new society. So I would, I would much rather read it that way. You're saying that Moses is, is predicting and concerned that they're going to make this same mistake again that ultimately will play out in, f- in future generations. You know, I think to me that that raises all these questions about Zionism and the land and living outside of the land and so on, which uh, we can discuss. But, uh, but that's what's going on here in terms of connecting it to the earlier narrative. Moses is afraid that they're being seduced by wealth and the ease of living of being outside the land, and they want to reject the promise of going into the land. And I wonder how much... Those are types of choices we make today. I mean, I often feel guilty about that, about should I be living in Israel and am I choosing to live outside of Israel because it's a nice, comfortable life? I don't believe that's true, but I think that those are central questions I ask myself. And I guess I wonder, like, does that resonate for you at all? Well, before I answer, why aren't you living in Israel? Um, An honest answer is that I would love to be living in Israel, and there are certain family reasons that I'm not going to get into, which don't make it possible. I mean, I love Israel, and I love it when I'm there, but it's never been kind of in the lexicon of my upbringing to eventually get there permanently. Um, And I recently uh, read Francine Clagsburn's book about uh, Golda, which is a pretty amazing tome, and it made me revisit the idea that I, I felt almost like what an amazing thing to have been part of it and to kind of put down roots there. But I, I almost felt reading it like it's, it's too late for me personally. I guess everything that we've been reading tells me that there was a shift from the temple focus and from Israel focus to a kind of diaspora Judaism where you were Jewish and connected wherever you were. And mm. I think that's, that's the Jewish DNA that I grew up with. So huh. it's, it's less focused on a place and more that, you know, be Jewish where you are, find meaning where you are, and build the story where you are. Right. Well, I mean, I, thank you. That's really very helpful I, because, you know, the, the framing it in terms of sort of the evolution, um, yes, there was a time in biblical times where, you know, you had a Jewish nation in Israel, we had self-governance. That was, of course, where you needed to be. If you weren't there, you were outside of, of your homeland. But together with the destruction of the temple and the decentralization, it might be the biblical sense, but it doesn't remain or doesn't have to remain part of our Jewish sense of, you know, that absolute uh, centrality. I'm still going to go with <laughs> my, the way I was brought up, even though it leads to some guilt feelings. But uh, I, re- I really do hear of that. But when you say uh, you're going to go with the way you were brought up, that is to get back there is to eventually yeah, live there. Yeah, you know, I don't think at some level, I, I, it's very hard to give up, you know, the deep things that were said into us in a way of looking at the world when we were brought up. So even though I really appreciate your perspective and I'm aware of these other teachings, 
it's just so deeply ingrained in me that we all have to be living in Israel. And if you're not, you, need, you better have a good excuse. Or if you don't have a good excuse, admit that you're a little bit selling out. Sort of like in this week's Parsha, what Moshe was afraid of, that you guys are selling out. You know, it's like when the Jews were in exile and, you know, in Europe, Eastern Europe, and couldn't do anything about it. All they could do is wish to be there. Now you have the opportunity. So stop saying next year in Jerusalem, <laughs> or you better mean it and do something about it. So yeah, I, I carry that guilt slash aspiration, you know, slash religious feeling with me about going into the land and feeling like, you know, Moses was critiquing them for if you're not going into the land. All right. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> Shabbat Shalom, Abby. Parsha in Progress is written and hosted by Abigail Pogrubin and Rabbi Dove Linzer. The show is produced by Shira Telushkin and executive produced by Josh Cross and Tablet Magazine. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. We'd be so grateful if you'd head over to iTunes and rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It helps more people find us. You can also write or fetch to us at this email, Progress at tabletmag.com. Thanks for listening.